You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Little Me listeners, and happy holidays. It's your buddy, Mark Tuminelli. It's during these insane times that I like to think of some of my favorite things. What gift could I give you this holiday season? And then I figured it out. I'll talk to you about my favorite musical flop, Smile. You might be saying, Mark, this sounds like a gift for you. Well, a gift for me is a gift for everyone. In another very special crossover episode, I had the privilege of being a guest host of one of my favorite podcasts, Flop of the Heap, with John Bow and Marla Alpert. I stepped in for Marla and chatted about Smile the Musical. I love this misguided musical about a 1980s beauty pageant so much. I think the score is beyond amazing and the story of getting the show to Broadway is also pretty incredible. So while you do those holiday dishes and tune out your family, turn up the volume on my vocal damage with the brilliant, hilarious John Bow as we talk all things Broadway superflop, smile. Also, check out Flop of the Heap, especially if you love musicals. They kill it every time, and I know you will love this podcast as much as I do. On a side note, thank you for joining me for these past 59 episodes. I love hearing from you, and I'm very thankful that you're tuning in week after week. More to come in 2022. And remember to go over and leave me a five-star review and tell your friends. All right. Happy holidays. Please stay safe. Keep wearing those masks. Wash your hands. I'm wishing you the greatest new year. I will be back in a couple of weeks with all new stories of child stardom. But for now, enjoy my episode of Flop of the Heap. Critics agree. The new beauty pageant musical Smile is sporadically amusing, schizoid in tone, and lacks creative vitality. The contestants are given so little individuality that only a parent could care who wins. An empty smile greets Broadway this season. You won't want to miss Smile with special guest host Mark Tuminelli, next on Flop of the Heap. Flop of the Heap's mission is not to bash, rip, pan, grill, or flambe the Broadway productions we explore. Nor are we here to put performers and other artists down. More importantly, we also recognize that part of the creative process is failure, and believe facing those failures with a critical but genial attitude should be the norm. There can be no success without failure. After all, you can't spell hopeful without flop. And what I have writing is, I guess it's called Pride. This show sings. This is a musical. This is begging to be a musical. If we don't do it right, we made a mistake. Um, hi, everyone. It's me, John Bowe. <laughs> 
I, I don't know. I've never, never know how to start these things. Um, Marla cannot be with us this week, folks. Um, she is on sabbatical. Um, but we <laughs> we have a, a, an amazing guest host this week, the, the famous Mr. Mark Tuminelli. Let's uh, start out by introducing you. Is that is that okay with can you? We, can we add applause once you had said my name? That's... I'm going to add applause every time we say your name throughout the entire episode. I don't think you're going to say my name that many times. Oh, no. I'm planning on saying it often. <laughs> Hi, John Bo. Hi. How are you, Mark? Good. I'm so thrilled to be here. Good. I, I, I'm glad that you're one of our podcast's biggest fans. <laughs> I really am. I legitimately am. I listen to every episode. That makes it's me really so happy. You're killing it. Thanks. For those of you that don't know, Mark Tuminelli is the founder and director of the Broadway Workshop, uh, most recently served as the acting and dialect coach on the feature film Better Nate Than Ever, starring Lisa Kudrow for Walt Disney Studios. Uh, Mark has adapted the book, music, and lyrics for the student versions of We Will Rock You, The Addams Family, Zombie Prom, Spamalot, Head Over Heels, and many others. He's directed dozens of plays um, and musicals all over the country, and he really has just an incredible array of, of classes that he offers through the Broadway Workshop, uh, coachings, showcases, performance opportunities for kids of all ages, really an, an incredible program. And that's been going on for what, almost 15 years now, right? 14 years, Wow! right? This yeah. month. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, some of his workshops are taught by the likes of Broadway legends, Ben Platt, Ciara Bogus, Laura Benanti, Jeremy Jordan, Cynthia Erivo, and Sutton freaking Foster. Oh yeah. He's also... Um, the host of another podcast that you might want to listen to. It's called Little Me, Growing Up Broadway, uh, which is on the Broadway Podcast Network, and he conducts interviews with literally every kid that's ever been in a Broadway show. Uh, in fact, I just listened to your episode about Leah Michelle, which was great. Yes, People Magazine, covered by The People Magazine. <laughs> the People. And last but not least, as an actor, Mark has portrayed oh, one gosh. of the most charming iterations of Eugene Morris Jerome in the Neil Simon trilogy the world has ever known, uh, besides just being an all-around fun guy. Um, now tell me something before we, before we, well, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mark Tuminelli! Great. Tell me something. When are you going to adapt the junior version of Hello Dolly? Uh, that I don't think is coming my way anytime soon. Just like this staircase is just two steps. Cut Dolly's intro down to one bar. That's it. Your podcast is amazing, uh, Little Me. Thank you. If this goes well today, I will release this episode on my podcast feed as oh, well. Oh, if so. this if this doesn't go well, we'll just put it in the archive and never speak of it again. <laughs> um, also, I also just listened to your appearance on the Burnt podcast where you talked about um, that crazy dude Mur murdered two people and then went on to play Guido in nine at his local community. Dan Wozniak <laughs> murdered two people oh and then did the evening performance of nine at the community theater in California, <laughs> um, in Orange County, California. Could you imagine? I imagined it throughout the entire time I was listening. It's shocking. Just but yeah, check check bonkers. out me on the Burnt Podcast. Yes. Basically, check out me on everyone's podcast. <laughs> yes. 
Now, today we're talking about the musical Smile. Uh, now, why are you here? <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel like it's because you're an unofficial expert on the musical Smile, but maybe it's, maybe it's an official capacity. No, I'm an unofficial expert of the musical Smile. I've loved it. Uh, probably I first found it when I was in 10th grade. So that's the 90s, like maybe 1995. And my very, one of my best, very, my best very girlfriend, Randy <laughs> Melnick Cohen, um, she was uh, doing a production at her high school. And I was like, what? And then she gave me the, the demo cast recording that they, all the students had gotten. And I taped it from tape to tape. Oh my and God. I learned every word of it. I was very obsessed with Smile. And uh, ever since I've sort of everything I could do to get my hands on smile information and talk to people who are in smile. And I, and I don't know why it is, but maybe we'll uncover why I love the show so much. I really hope so. 45 I mean, minutes. this isn't, this isn't only a dissection of the musical, but a dissection of your psyche. I'll be back next week to talk about sideshow. <laughs> Can't wait. Now, you know that this is, this is a podcast dedicated to Broadway disasters. So, but it sounds like you have sort of a love in your heart for this oh, oh this is definitely a disaster oh, okay. by all <laughs> just accounts. wanted to make sure we're on the same page uh, oh okay. yeah it did not it did not go well it did not go the all way right they well let, let's get down to it the first thing we do as you probably know is we're gonna google all night you want to sing a little bit of it i could have googled all night <laughs> now you sing <laughs> i'm not a great vocalist i have vocal nodules from like from the top to the bottom <laughs> that's like, what that's what makes you so charming it does. It also, I think it has something to do with like trying to do like a Matthew Broderick impression for like a decade. Yeah, that probably <laughs> had something to do with it. All right. So, uh, John, Google all night. Let's uh, do it. Opening, opening date. Opening date was November 24th, 1986. Closing date. January 3rd, 87. Oop, it's a turkey. Number of previews? Uh, there were 11 previews and 48 performances. I mean, not, not the worst run. <laughs> Nope. You know, could have been much sure. worse. Um, it sounds like you, they needed 48 previews. Uh, <laughs> Probably, yeah. Didn't quite get it right. All right. Do you know what the budget and loss was? Um, it was a little hard to find. I The number that I saw was $4 million. It's $4 okay. million, yeah. And they spent $250,000 just producing the workshop, which is not part of that $4 million. Wow, wow. Yeah. Theater history and the venue. Uh, it played at the Lunt Fontaine. Uh, named, yes. of course, for Broadway wedded darlings Alfred Lunt and Lynn Fontaine. Um, I, who I'm a huge fan of. I mean, you better be. Now, the, the Lunt Fontaine is known for a couple of things. Uh, the Sound of Music uh, was there until it moved to the Mark Hellinger. The Wiz was at, at the Lunt. Um, the original No No Nanette was there in 1925. But actually, it's the home of a lot of flops all of which are on the list of shows that are upcoming. Come Summer with Ray Bolger, Her First Roman, which just the title sounds like a disaster. How Now Dow Jones, Walking Happy, Bajor, Ben Franklin in Paris, Skyscraper, Oof. Goldilocks. It, it, yeah, a lot of flops. Legendary flop Rex, uh, legendary Charles Strauss flop, a Broadway musical. And then in the 90s, the Lund had sort of a resurgence, and it was the longtime home of Disney's Beauty and the Beast after it transferred from the palace. Well, Titanic really put the Lund back on the map. Sure, yes, Titanic. Uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I think, cemented it in, in the annals of Broadway history. The Donna Summer musical brought it right back down again. 
<laughs> um, now, 1986, this was um, uh, my youth. Uh, now, what other shows were running at the time? Cats, obviously, was running. What else was, like, new? Les Mis okay, sure. uh, was the season, Me and My Girl, Starlight Express, and the hit musical Rags. Oh, yes, Rags. Lest we forget Raggedy Ann was running at the same time. Correct. And this was also the year of Lacage, I believe. Uh, yeah, it was definitely running. I don't, I don't think it was this year. I think it opened. It had opened the year, the year prior. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Here's something I learned just the other day. There was a musical that opened the year prior called Into the Light. Have you ever heard of that? I can't say. I, I just have. added it to the list. It was a flop starring Dean Jones that centers around the debate about the legitimacy of the Shroud of Turin. <laughs> Oh my! A musical like who a wrote musical? It? it lasted six performances. A musical. Yeah. But enough about that. So we're talking about Smile. Who did the music? Marvin Hamlish, who you know was a very big deal at the time. Yes. Talking Oscars, chorus lines, the longest running musical on Broadway mm-hmm. at the yep. time, um, and then also they're playing our song, like huge, uh, very, very uh, go-to composer for Broadway. Yeah, hits absolutely. At the time. Uh, and then yeah. so book lyrics. And direction by uh, Mr. Howard Ashman. Maybe too much for one person to do. Perhaps he put a little bit too much on his plate. Howard Ashman, known primarily, of course, with his uh, writing partnership with Alan Menken. They created Little Shop of Horrors together and then the scores for Disney's Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin before um, Ashman died in 91. Um, now, the source material is uh, it's based on a movie, correct? 1975 film uh, called Smile. Mm-hmm. Uh, by Michael Ritchie, um, with a screenplay by Jerry Belson. And um, it's a really bad movie. (laughs) (laughs) The movie starred Barbara Feldon, who I was in love with when I was a kid, because she played... What do you know Barbara Feldon for? She played Agent 99 on the the 1960s sitcom Get Smart, which played on Nick at Night, and I thought she was so sexy. Were you born in the 50s? (laughs) (laughs) I was born in 81. <laughs> but I, Nick at Night. It was the... no. I remember. I, I wasn't into Get Smart, but I liked that other. I liked Car Fifty Four. Where are you? Which okay. Was on okay. Nick at Night. Yeah. Because I was like, that's Herman Munster. Yes. That's why I like that mm-hmm. show. Um, now the the show is most known for being the the beauty pageant musical. I would say, just in a nutshell. The uh, anyone else that we need to know? Like, were there any other notable? I don't know. People involved with the production producers. Um, well, pre the pre-Broadway, which I don't know when we get into this in this format, but like there's th- there was essentially three versions of Smile before the Broadway version. Okay. And the original lyricist was Car- uh, Carolyn Lee. Oh, I didn't know that. Who had had written Little Me and Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. And Tom Meehan was the librettist. Wow. Um, and then he, <laughs> but, was, they were. Very rarely, both, the, both of them just disappear. <laughs> Well, Carolyn died and Thomas got fired. Oh, okay. <laughs> so well, that'll do it. So maybe let, yeah. let's just mention about a few of the people that were in the Broadway production. Oh my God. And and how? Yeah. Um, we have Jody Benson, who of course became Ariel and Little Mermaid and never needed to work again. <laughs> Correct. Because she was just printing money at home the, after the that. The voice of Ariel was all she ever needed to do. And well then she she did Crazy for You on Broadway. She after. did, yes. She played Polly and Crazy for You for a few years and she was nominated for a Tony for that. Oh. We'll see, look. Um, mm. Vianne Cox, who I love very much, played oh, a very small role. God, she's wonderful. Um, Jeff McCarthy, who many people know from multiple Broadway shows, mm-hmm. um, was one of the principals. Ruth Williamson. Do you know who Ruth Williamson is? She's no. like, always plays the, uh, you know, F, not what's the pick a little lady? The, the mayor's wife. Uh, Eulalie McKechnie Shin. McKechnie like, Shin. In, in the Music Man movie. Like, not the movie movie, but the 
the Matthew Broderick movie, and she's been in lots of Broadway shows. I think she also played that part in the Broadway revival with Rebecca Luker. Oh, amazing. Um, she's amazing. Um, Anne-Marie Bobby was the other star of the show who was an 18-year-old girl who had been in four Broadway shows before, but um, this was her first role as like an adult on Broadway mm-hmm. at 18. And uh, that's really like, I don't know, the the big... The big guns. Yeah. Not a lot of cast notables. Well, Jody Benson, I mean, she, I, I mean. She became a notable. She became a notable, I mean, in her partnership with uh, Howard Ashman, working with Howard Ashman, and then he would go on to work for Disney. And I think he was already contracted to write Mermaid when he was working on this. And I believe, at legend says that he was willing to audition all of the young contestants for the voice of Ariel and... All of the girls auditioned. Yes. Well, some of the girls. It seems like from some of my research that there were girls who were obsessed with Howard and girls who were obsessed with Marvin. Hmm. And they were very uh, different. Uh, these two gentlemen behave very differently with the the young women in the show. And they did not get along very well. Yeah. And so there was like team A and team B. I felt I'm feeling a little bit from from some of the, the people I've chatted with. I definitely so, got that impression too, just in yeah. sort of reading some of the reviews. Well, Will V. Long was the costume designer as well, which is uh, uh, an interesting Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Paul Gemignani was the musical director. Musical director. It's crazy. crazy. Um, yeah. Now, uh, there's no official cast recording of the show, correct? Correct. But there um, is like a demo. Is that right? So what happened is after the show you know, famously flopped on Broadway. Um, Marvin Hamlish like wiped his hands clean of the whole thing. He wanted nothing to do it, but Howard still felt like there was something there and he wanted to preserve something. He rewrote another rewrite of the book and uh, made some edits. And that is what was recorded for future licensing. And it's just a demo recording they did in one day with about 25% of the cast. Mm -hmm. And they all sort of gathered around the Casio and made a recording and that was just to be used as a demo is never supposed to be released and it's never been released. And the way people got that was by trying to license the show or attempting to license the show, they would give you a cassette of the music so you could hear what these songs sounded like. Gotcha. So that is the only thing that exists. Amory Bobby's on it. And uh, also Jody Benson, mm-hmm. um, Howard Ashman sings a lot of the male parts um, Jeff McCarthy was not available that day, so he sings Big Bob. He sings The Sun. He sings a bunch of different roles. Uh-huh. And 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 of course, there the orchestra is not available to record on this day, and so they, they the music is sort of this like nineteen eighties Epcot Center ambient music, which is there's no budget. Unfortunate. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm sure Howard paid for it himself. Sure, or sure. Like gave the girls like a meal ticket, mm-hmm. and they're like, um, I will buy you one sandwich if you come and record. <laughs> Now there's um uh, a couple songs that I think pe- uh, theater people know. There's that song Disneyland, which is done you know, serving cabaret quite a bit, and it was on that Unsung Musicals album. Yeah. Um, and then Smile, I think some people know. Um, now there's never been a revival of the show, obviously, but there was there an off Broadway production. There's been like a couple of like big workshops that have happened over the last couple of years or last like 10 years. And then there was musical tonight did it um, at theater row. Maybe uh-huh. I saw that production. Maybe that was like 10 years ago or eight years ago. Wow. And um, you know, that's a very scaled down. They rehearse it in a week. Um, this show seems like it's dying for an encores presentation. Yeah. Maybe that's just my own selfishness, but there has never really been a big, large scale revival. Now the the show when it did run on Broadway was it was not it did a couple nominations, right? 
I think it's only best book of a musical. I think it's the yeah, only Tony nomination. That's right. And then uh, there was a drama desk nomination for Michael O'Gorman, I think. Yeah. I think costumes too. Yeah. And they, um, you know, when you close that early in the season, if you're closing January, yeah. it's like the last thing anyone's thinking about in May is this show that opened and closed yeah. that no one liked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So where should we go next? Shall we just, shall we give a rundown of the plot of this wacky musical? Yeah. Take it away, John. What's Smile about? <laughs> oh, God, I have to do it? I mean, um, I could do it. Okay, I, so our, well, it let, let me give my synopsis and you jump in and correct me when I make a mistake. Okay. Okay, so the story centers around the contestants of this completely made up California young American Miss Beauty pageant. And, uh, of course, the backstage drama that unfolds. So we're introduced to two main characters, Robin and Doria. Jody Benson is Doria. And the two, and who's Robin? Sorry. Um, that's Anne-Marie Bobby. Okay. And they're two uh, participants in the pageant who are roommates and become friends. Then we're introduced to Maria and Sean, who are another set of roommates and friends. Can you just stop and tell people who Maria is? <laughs> Maria is a Mexican-American contestant who is just a walking offensive stereotype. And her talent in the competition when they get to talent night, do you know what that is, John? Is it making flautas? She makes guacamole <laughs> as her talent God. in the talent evening portion. Doria does a striptease <laughs> um, about reading books. I mean, the show is so campy. Like, there's a ventriloquist number, um, you know, but uh, Maria Gonzalez's talent is making guacamole in a microwave. What? <laughs> That's why this show, this is why I love it. Does it get more 1980s than the microwave being used for Making every guacamole meal? guacamole in a microwave <laughs> in 1986. What's more glamorous than that, I say? Wow, wow, wow. Um, <laughs> now, the, so Sean is jealous of Maria, um, and that's like a plot point we need to know about. Also, every, as I listened to that demo recording, every step of the way, all I could think about was Drop Dead Gorgeous. It really does feel like it, like, and obviously Drop Dead Gorgeous came way after this, yes. but it does feel like it's very similar. Yeah. There's a lot of very, uh, very strong similarities between the two mm -hmm. properties. Yeah. Um, and the Smile movie, if you watch the Smile movie and you watch Drop Dead Gorgeous, it's very clear that they're, they're, it's some sort of version of this. It's an updated version. Because it's supposed to be satirical. It's supposed to be a send-up right. of the pageant thing. Yeah. Yes. Um, and what, what maybe this audience doesn't know, and then, I, John, I, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are, but uh, beauty pageants were appointment television when I was a kid. Oh, yes. And it was more than people talked about the Super Bowl, more than people talked about the Academy Awards. It was like the next day after that Sunday night live from Atlantic City, people talked about, you know, the beauty pageant, Miss America. It was a very big deal. Miss USA, Miss America, Miss World. These were like big nights on television. Yeah, and it, it seems as though the beauty pageant phenomenon, the bigness of the American beauty and the world beauty pageants would fade pretty quickly after this show didn't work, wouldn't you say? Because I feel like... I would say it, it started to happen, I would imagine, if I really remember watching it, then I would say it was probably like in the beginning of the 90s where 
beauty pageants really were less and less of a thing every year. Yeah. Um, well, I feel like I, it was I mean, the, pretty the, big through the 80s. The Vanessa Williams scandal probably scandal. started that downward trajectory, I would think, because that was... Which comes up, it's like referenced in this musical. Oh, is it like really? One, there's one sentence about it. Because um, Vanessa Williams was uh, 83, and yep. she, if you don't know, she was forced to relinquish her crown two months from the end of her reign when nude photos of her surfaced in penthouse magazine um and and, i get my hands on those photos (laughs) well vanessa williams would survive that scandal but it seems as though beauty pageants sort of would Would not not. yeah yes okay so a couple of other characters you need to know about uh brenda de carlo freelander is a former runner-up who's organizing this year's pageant with her husband big bob an rv salesman who is the pageant's head judge <laughs> just what okay True story there's also which is exactly drop dead gorgeous like yes uh, oh yes. yes exactly the same there's also little bob who's brenda and bob's son who has a raging boner for all the contestants and <laughs> formulates a plan to sneak into the building with his pervert buddy freddie to take yeah. photos of the women and sell them oof now this <laughs> this is not only cringy but extra cringy because all of the contestants of the show are under 18 <laughs> like yep. just like what there's lots of mention about horny old guys who like just like to look at girls like oh. they're throughout the musical doria has like a a section that's not on that demo about how she was in a competition the year before with a, a horny um uh dermatologist who just wanted to look at everyone's God. And it's like we're we're laughing because it's hilarious and ridiculous. But after like since that time, a lot of really scandalous, awful shit has come out with these topics. Young women being abused and sexualized in all sorts of awful ways by creepy old men. So I that sort of like cute nod in this musical doesn't really work anymore I, you know well it's a period piece it is it really truly is so let's see what else uh tommy french is another character he's sort of the the pageant choreographer um yes. gay stereotype here he comes yeah sort of the 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 curmudgeonly choreographer that's jaded and and all that so the day after he teaches them their sort of intense dance scene. I don't know. I feel like I'm skipping important things. There's a, there's a whole drama with a ramp. <laughs> like, I, just... I mean, it's so unnecessary. The ramp is so unnecessary. It's just like to just show that Brenda is the boss and she is running things and she's not going to let this. There's a lot riding on this competition being a wild success for Brenda. There's a lot of money involved in it. How much the Golden Circle tickets cost. Like, There's a lot of stuff with the adults, which just became less and less and less as the show got redeveloped and redeveloped. The movie is really focused on the adult storyline uh-huh. and the musical is really focused on the 16 girls yes. and and Brenda. And so I, there's just like a lot of little things, but nothing really amounts to anything. You know, it's like the big important thing that is necessary to cover is that those naked photos that little Bob takes, because that is what's going to spin the whole thing out in act two. Right. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the ramp is not a thrilling plot point. <laughs> not except for like a girl falls and like, like hurts her ankle. Yeah. But it, it, it establishes the the tension between Tommy French, the choreographer and the, the, the woman who's running the pageant. 
And so, but there's, but there's no budget for the ramp or whatever. And then he offers to pay for it himself. Take the money out of his check, which she does. Yes. <laughs> now the day after they put the big dance scene together, the girls are all complaining about the conditions and the bad food. And this all reminds me of Drop Dead Gorgeous when they all eat bad shellfish at the seafood buffet. <laughs> You know, I I love shrimp. It's my favorite food. But I've never eaten shrimp since Drop Dead Gorgeous without thinking about <laughs> about everyone getting food poisoning from eating shrimp. That Drop scene Dead is so funny with all these gorgeous girls like good. throwing up in potted palms up on each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so the preliminaries. Maria wins in the creative talent category. Her song is Young and American. Robin wins in the scholastic achievement category. Then Sean catches the two little pervert boys taking pictures of her in the shower, but instead of ratting them out, she connives with them a plot of pornographic sabotage. Is that right? That that's exactly correct. That's basically how the first act ends. And you're <laughs> And then we also Doria is out. Like Doria does not place after talent. So this girl that sang the I Want song that we are rooting for as an audience, the person who lives and breathes and eats pageants, knows every winner every year. She is basically the chances of her winning or placing is very low after preliminary night. Right. So we go into the end of act one thinking that Robin has a chance mm -hmm. and Doria decides, well, I'm going to make you my project a la Glinda and Alphaba. And she's like, I'm going to teach you. You can win. I have no chance now. So let me help you. Robin is sort of the sweet, um, we root for her character. Robin's like there for scholarship money. Um, she is like not very good at any of this. She doesn't understand it. She has a dad who's passed away when for, in a car accident when she was a little kid. Which, she, like, which she refuses to, to tell anyone yes. for, for fear that she will be taking advantage of quote unquote orphan points. Orphan points. <laughs> but Robin, you can get orphan points. And she goes, I don't want them. I don't want them. The book is really funny. Um, but it, it's hard to say whether we're supposed to take these things seriously or not. Yeah, the 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 overall feel of the show is not quite satire, but is. And that's a very hard thing to play. And it's very yeah, hard to play yeah. satire for two and a half hours and get an audience to care about anybody. And so I think that the tone of the show is a little off. Like it either needs to be much campier or less camp here but right now it kind of it sits like in the campground confused about what it's supposed to be <laughs> it's in the campground not sure which camp it's in correct I, I, and i we'll, we'll talk about this more when we talk about the score and and some of our favorite lyrics but um it's like the dialogue the big bob dialogue mark Oof. is so awful it's just bad and then the end of the show this guy is like don't you realize to bob he's like you're miss teen print like you are the you are the real miss american team like whatever yeah um you are the real you are the american heart and soul miss. big yes. bob big bob i'm like well that doesn't work okay um, so quickly we're get like let's get through act two the pageant begins with the song smile and there's like a slideshow of contestants which to everyone's shock and horror includes this nude picture of maria who is of course mortified and runs away but Brenda wants her to stay and finish it. But then yes. one of the pageant people is like, no, she has to leave. She's disqualified. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes this whole big thing while they're singing like this beautiful group number while all the girls are like holding a candle and singing about <laughs> the future backstage. This like poor girl is running around with her luggage and crying because she's just been seen naked in front of a full audience. Okay, so the, the plot goes into, like, she's removed from the pageant. No, we want her back in the pageant. No, uh, the judges don't want to pick a winner at all because of the the nudie photo scandal. And Nudies. then Brenda, Brenda fires Bob. Yes. 
um, and she sort of takes over. But Brenda has this great moment where she kind of comes back on stage and gets everybody to get back together and say, this was an unfortunate thing that happened, but let's focus on these women and their stories and female empowerment. And she gets the whole audience back on her side, um, kind of proving that she really is the young American miss, um, that she never was when she was a younger girl. Like, okay. she, she she's coming to her own in this moment. Well, I... I yeah. I feel like without having sit, sat and watched the show, she does seem like the villain, sort of. But maybe given that second act speech, she isn't really. No, I think that she becomes, like, she does a great job to, like, get it back on the track. I mean, ultimately, she she wants this thing to go really well, and it just completely falls apart. And it's all on her. And so, and literally, I'm reading stage directions. In the middle of her monologue, she goes... The stage directions is she's on a roll now and she and she knows it. There's a little Ava Perone in her as she continues her <laughs> impassioned oratorical vein. <laughs> so I mean she's a monster, but a monster for the greater good. Okay. All right. Yes. So the show uh, Robin eventually reveals that she's fatherless, so she gets those orphan points, I guess. Bob finds out that it was his son that took the pervert picture. And then Sandra Kay ends up winning, who wasn't really... We barely, like, we don't even, even know, know who about her. Vianne Cox. Yeah, and Doria is first runner-up. Yes, yeah, so Doria, also... like, moves up out of nowhere. I Okay, all right. So what, what, else, what else happens in the second act that I missed? Anything? That's really it. This, the show falls apart in the second act, sadly. <laughs> and that is literally what every review, we'll get to that in a minute, but um, they just don't, they never get the second act right. And act yeah. one is like a really tight, fun musical number extravaganza after musical number extravaganza. And act two just doesn't quite get there. And despite the underage nude photos, it does build it up in a way where you do want to come back for the second act to see what happens. Well, there's a great end of act one number called Until Tomorrow Night, which is yes. truly thrilling. It's a great song. It is a great number. It really builds that tension. What do they want from me? God knows I've been trying. They say relax and be yourself, but they're lying. So I'm in for no fear. I cannot take this up and fear. I need a joint. I need a fear. Please someone get me out of here. It's all too much and so and so. I've lost my equilibrium. I feel so fat. I feel so dumb. I need to know the end will come in sight. Now, now, generally, I really like the score. I, I was really anticipating a bunch of floppy, schlocky songs, but it it bops. There's some cute numbers. The lyrics are clever. Howard Ashman is just so freaking good. And, I mean, Marvin Hamlish's melodies are, they're great. You know, it really is good. The the issue with this, the score, and I obviously am obsessed with the score. That's the reason why I love the show. Yeah. Is that they're... Everything is a sequence. There is very few songs. Disneyland is a song. It has a beginning, middle, and song applause. But everything is a sequence. So you never feel like you get to hear a song. Uh -huh. It almost all feels like each number is Hello 12 um, over and over again. Yes, connecting and material. You need one of those maybe in each act, but it's a <laughs> lot of those. And so it, it just doesn't ever really do what it needs to do because you're as an audience you want to applaud in a way that feels like i just heard a song i heard a character tell me something about themselves that i don't know and we don't get that because we're getting so much information about what's going on in the story over getting information about the people and if you use chorus line as an example which obviously the parallels are very obvious mm -hmm. is that you learn about each of these people on the line over the course of this you know two hours and you don't ever really learn about anyone other than Doria and um, Robin. 
you know, yeah. as far as the, everyone else is very like one dimensional yeah, as far yeah. as who they are. And you don't ever find that out through music. Maria doesn't have a song about my, I'm so embarrassed or my life is ruined now. Like we never get in to anyone. So that is the issue with the score, but uh, it's really very tuneful and it's not like a bunch of clunkers. They're like great songs and they're, there's a lot of up tempos. We are not sitting on a lot of ballads. Like the show really moves almost to a fault. There, it's it's relentless as far as musical numbers are concerned. Yeah, so you have like Young and American and Shine like back to back, and they're these two huge production numbers. Um, and it's there. I think it's too much. I think it's just all too much. Um, the the song Disneyland. It, you know, there's a weird irony to Jody Benson singing Disneyland in that it's three years before she becomes like the mermaid the queen voice of, of Disneyland, a, like the voice of a generation. And it's also funny to hear her speak and sing in a Southern accent before she plays Polly and crazy for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just very strange to me. Um, now the song shine that, that was where it was like, Oh, this is so a chorus line. It's even like you're, if, is, if it's even possible to rip off your own material, but you know, it's like five, six, seven, eight, gotta shine, shine, you know. Now you what you you're now right now I'm I'm watching Mark like <laughs> sort through his files and you've got a script in hand and also I have the I have the licensable script, like what you get if you want to do the show. Mm -hmm. And I also have the Broadway script. And where did you get your hands on that? This story is very wild. Okay. I was once hired to clean a man's apartment out, and he <laughs> had died, and he had everything and i took two barbara streisand records and this smile <laughs> and this smile script everything else was donated anyone, anyone else cleaning the apartment wouldn't know what they had in their hand <laughs> but somehow um and i was like <gasps> um and so i took those things and uh everything else was donated to uh, the library i think at harvard but I have, that's why I have this score. So now the, script. the, the script and score that you have is of the Broadway production, but it has been, it was changed before they licensed it. And who, who is it licensed through? So that's a Sam French now Concord licensed mm -hmm. the show. This Broadway version is not licensable. The only version that's licensable is Howard's rewrite, which matches the demo recording ah. where there was a lot more narration from Robin um, in the original Broadway um, there is, uh, the opening number is drastically different. Um, the parents are involved in the opening of the licensable version, but not really. It's just on the girls, um, in the original Broadway version. There's a, there's like lots of little. Do you think it's, do you, do you think it fixes the show? Do you think the changes that they made make the show stronger? Oh God, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I don't think they're any better. I just think a little bit where they were rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it, now Hamlish and Ashman never teamed up on any other project besides this, did they? Well, a couple of things. They didn't like each other. Yeah. Um, Howard went to do the Disney movies, which mm -hmm. brought him unfortunately to his death. So in those, like not that many years after this, you know, he was completely devoted to living in, Hollywood and working on his own projects with Alan Menken. And that, that team seemed to be a mad, that was like magic in a bottle, right? Lightning in a bottle, those two. And so and did you go see back the, to someone they didn't like. 
Yes. Yeah. Well, sure. That that's that's yeah. true. But even did you see the Howard Ashman documentary on? Yeah, Disney and I Plus? actually rewatched it last night. Um, yeah. It. Uh, my God, you really did do your research. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed Not like an he, amateur. Well, his his character, uh, he seemed to be a very exacting person, as a lot of director, writer, artist types can be, you know. And yeah. uh, but it, it seemed to be, mesh more well with uh, Mencken than it ever did with Hamlish. But I was just saying, like, they, they really were a good songwriting team. I mean, Hamlish writes so show tunally and Ashman is such a great storyteller. I really thought that some of the material was solid. Um, it's, it's it's really a shame that the book didn't work, didn't come together. And I mean, and they and they they're certainly tried there. It's not like they were like, this is the show. You know, they kept reworking and kept jumping back in. That's why there is legitimately to the licensed version. There is four totally different smiles, mm -hmm. um, some of them with different teams. Marvin Hamlish always involved. It was his idea. And um, they just kept sort of moving the needle and never quite could get it exactly right. Do you have any um, favorite lyrics that you've written? I have, I have two. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, how have I done so far? I wish I looked like Terry Gar. I wonder what my chances are. It's so bizarre until tomorrow night is my favorite lyric in the whole show. I wish I looked like Terry Gar. Does any other I mean, musical reference Terry Gar? I don't think so. And then I have one other. You say, oh, I am degenerized. We've all been through it. I say you can be Bruce Jennerized. Here's how to do it. Oh my god! How did I miss that lyric? <laughs> it does go very fast, so I'm not. Yeah. Um, um, there's so many topical references in the show, which is why when we get to the end of this and we talk about can it be redone now, it, it, it this is a time capsule of 1980. <laughs> Just that single year. All right, and then the other lyric that I have to point out is in Young Young and American. Maria sings. Serve a beef enchilada full of carne piccata. He'll say, thank you, Donata. Make sure there's a lot of fried beans on the side. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So ridiculous. Oh yeah, it's my God. I mean, every lyric we just gave you is full camp. Yeah. Nothing is from the heart. No. I mean, Disneyland's a great song. It is. And the reason why we're not referencing it is because it's not funny. It's just a good song. <laughs> But it is, I mean, the, the point of the song is that, you know, even though you go to Disneyland and you know it's all fake and there's speakers in the trees and everything's flat and two-dimensional, it's the illusion of the magic that she likes. And, and there's something to be said for that, I guess. But isn't that kind of what a pageant is? It's it's all just, you know, it's the vas mirrors. Vaseline yeah. on the teeth and smoke and mirrors mm -hmm. and just, you know, I... I don't know. Is this is this what we should be worshiping as Americans? This sort of false. Well, it's also like self. the weirdest time because Ronald Reagan was in office, and so the the world got very uh, Republican for a minute, and for sure. um, yeah, the ideals of uh, women's rights and things were shifting in a, in a after going through the sixties and seventies. These eighties times was like a very strange time for women and gay people and rights. And obviously, mm -hmm. you know, True. that this show kind of tries to comment on that, but is not unsuccessful at making an impact. Mm. Okay. So from the from the beginning of the whole <laughs> sordid <laughs> tale, now you said Hamlish was the the really the brains behind starting this whole project, yes. Yeah. And then Car Carolyn Lee died at uh, the other Okay, let me try to go through this just because okay. it'll make it easier. Okay. So okay. um Hamlish called the Baltimore tryout Smile 3 because they had already been through multiple. Um, so 
Smile won. Hamlish brought in Carolyn Lee, Little Me, Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. Tom Meehan wrote the book. Mm-hmm. But after a run through for potential investors at Sardi's, the whole draft was scrapped. Um, at that point, um, Jack Hefner came on. This is Smile version two. And he was to be to replace Tom Meehan. He had written Vanities off Broadway. And Graziella Danielle was brought in to direct and choreograph. And a $300,000 workshop production um, was staged in Michael Bennett's studio. But again, the response was negative. Uh And then all those producers left it. And then Carolyn Lee died. So the only song that exists from that original version is Smile, um, the titular song. So Martin wrote that song. All the lyrics were rewritten by Howard Ashman. But that was the only song that existed from the from the first version to the Broadway version. So this show really started from scratch over again twice? Yes. Wow. Because when Howard came on, he said, I want to do this, but I don't want to fix anyone else's work. Yes. Well, I want to yeah. start from scratch with you, and I want to build these songs with you. And they decided to keep Smile as the only song, mm-hmm. which uh, the lyrics were scrapped, so it's not like um, you know Carolyn Lee gets any uh, credit for that. Um, wow. Bob Fosse had had a very long meeting about directing it, and uh, he wanted to do something very different with the show. And there's these amazing transcripts that uh, I read a long time ago, which I did not reread for this, but sort of what he wanted to do with the show. They decided that was not a fit. So Fosse passed on working on it. And then um, then they brought what in- was his con- What was his concept? Do you know? I can't remember. I think it was like a very dark situation and he really wanted to only focus on the adults. Huh. Um, and then uh, Howard Ashman was brought in. He had interviewed and was not hired to do it. Um, couple times ago and so they brought him in and he became the book writer the lyricist and the director and then they brought in the schubert organization and they did another really big workshop and this one was like the big one so the schuberts came um david geffen came because obviously howard had this connection with little shop of horrors and the movie and david geffen Mm -hmm. and uh, marvin had this great connection with the schuberts because he had made them millions and millions of dollars the the chorus line. line and they both sort of left that workshop that very expensive workshop and said we don't want anything to do with it we think it's uh, it's bad and marvin was so upset about this because these are people that should have believed in his talent he had two hit broadway shows and uh, it really upset him so he just decided to bring his own friends in and he brought his best friend richard kagan in to raise money and he started uh marvin started doing concerts around the country with four girls from the workshop um, Donna Marie Asbury, a buddy of mine, was one of the four. And they would go to Kiwanis clubs, they would go to concert venues, and they would raise money. Um, and to you could get in to pitch the show, and you could give $25,000 and be part of the producing team of Smile. And so that that's was a very how they raised- old school way of raising money for a show that old that is school. that wasn't really done much anymore by the 1980s. Correct. Um, and then we have to talk about Sidney Schlenker, who was the owner of the Denver Nuggets. Um, and he, um, who also testified in the Heidi Fleiss Hollywood Madam trial in oh, 1995. my God. He had put in $2.5 million into bringing the show to Broadway. So Whoa. he was the other half of the money. And he was just like this Texas sort of dude who uh, really believed in the show. It's actually very sweet. Now, um, I'm sure maybe you know this, but maybe not everyone else. 60 Minutes was following Smile from the workshop to the out-of-town Baltimore to opening night on Broadway. Yes, so I've there is seen this some of those clips. incredible amount of footage yeah. of the show and, and Anne-Marie Bobby. And, um, they all and, seem so excited and like gung-ho about this production. They really... Yeah. 
they really believe in it. You can tell. You can tell in those and clips. She asked them, um, she asked Howard and Marvin, like, do you think this is going to be a hit? And they're like, we, don't, we have no idea. We certainly think we have something here. And if it's not a hit, it's our fault, which I think is like a really great way to put it. Like, it's like all the ingredients should work. So it's just a matter of like, did you cook it right or not? That's and right. So that's, uh, and then there's also this very famous story of they have this opening night and the show feels like a hit and they go to the New York times building and it's uh, Marvin and, and Howard and Marvin uh, reads the review. He says nothing. He hands it to Howard and walks away and he never, they never speak again. This is like Broadway legend. Whoa. Yes. Um, because and, it's a terrible review. Yes. And, and is that the Frank rich? And yes, that's the Frank rich review, which I'm sure we'll get to. <clears throat> oh, and, yeah. um, Marvin disappears. He never comes back to the theater again. He never talks to the cast again. And Howard, the wonderful man that he is, and not that Marvin was not, but he um, he goes to the theater all the time. He keeps the girls excited. He does everything he can to keep the mojo at the Lundfontein Theater to be as exciting as possible to get through these 48 shows <sighs> and that we have Bless a great show heart. here. Mm -hmm. And he really believed in it in a way that... Um, that Marvin unfortunately did not. But well, and Marvin he, had, yeah. like you said, Marvin had been through the ringer with this project and had been through several rewrites, several uh, composing partners and had just had enough and needed to walk at this point. But it's it's great that Ashman stayed around to keep, you know, spirits high. Now, Marvin really did still believe in the score that he wrote. Mm -hmm. And he took my buddy, Donna Marie, who you can listen to on Little Me Growing Up Broadway, yeah. um, who was in this show and Merrily and Gypsy with Angela Lansbury. She's the greatest stories. Anyway, she took her on tour and they did symphony gigs years after Smile. And she sang Disneyland at every symphony gig that he had for years. And he took care of, you know, her in that way, which was really lovely. And she wound up singing Disneyland on Joan Rivers because they couldn't swing uh, Jody out of the show because a uh, press was coming. Oh, and wow. so there's this great footage of Donna singing um, Marvin's at the piano and they're singing Disneyland on Joan Rivers, who was uh, in for Johnny Carson uh, during the preview period. Oh, of Smile. wow. That's amazing. Is there, a, a, can you find that on YouTube? I, yeah, I found it when I was interviewing Donna. Oh, I have I to will, search for I'll that. I'll find it and send it to you. Oh, please yeah. do. It's great. Uh, wow. So those are all the versions of this musical. I mean, it's really two people who love the source material, really thought they could make it work, tried everything they could, yeah. and it just did not. Those Legos did not click in, sadly. Well, but it seems as though, you know, sometimes in these stories, the producers, you know, they, they, uh, they can't raise money from the right producer, and that's part of why the show fails. They can't get enough money together. But in this case, it seemed like the producers could tell that there were problems with this show and that they needed to be fixed or that they couldn't be fixed where it also like think about what was happening like every musical was a british invasion that was a hit yes and so rags was the last american musical i think before this also flopola and then this so then there was a lot riding on this show being a wild success and it was an american musical it was going to save american musical theater um i mean obviously lacage had been a hit the year before but this there was a lot writing on this for everybody. Marvin needed a hit. Howard had never had a Broadway show, and um, you know he never had a Broadway hit while he was living. Um, Little Shop was an enormous hit, but mm -hmm. that was an off-Broadway musical. Yeah, and so everybody had a lot writing on making this show a, a very big success. So I think the failure felt very deep for everybody. I'm sure. Well, I think it might be time for my favorite part of this podcast, and that is critical reception. 
Um, now, did you, uh, you have the Frank Rich? Um... I have the Frank Rich review and I have my favorite line from that. And then I have like two good reviews. So all, all we right. don't want to only talk about the negative. <laughs> of course. Yeah. So let me read a little bit from uh, Alan Wallach, uh, Newsday. This was from November 1986. The, t- the title of his article is An Empty Smile Greets Broadway. Hamlish uh, and Ashman have turned out a glossy musical many people may enjoy, probably the same people who'd enjoy an actual young American Miss Pageant. But in adapting Jerry Belson's 75 screenplay, Ashman has softened the satire to the consistency of oatmeal. Ooh, ooh. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> Not oatmeal. Not oatmeal. The teenage contestants and their adult supervisors are so bland that it's a relief when the professional choreographer who shows up to stage the pageant is a cynic, even though his character, too, has been watered down. As in the Hamlish composed A Chorus Line, the built-in suspense has to do with who wins and who loses. But unlike the distinctively personal Chorus Line songs, some of those in Smile are sung by all 16 contestants for the title. The contestants are given so little individuality that only a parent could care who wins. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly right. Also, you're such a good reader. Oh, thanks. Four stars. I wish someone would pay me for it, but here I am. They're paying for you. Aren't you reading some lines in Cats? Uh, just, just a few. Yeah, there's not many lines at all. <laughs> I tried improving a few lines in rehearsals, but they told me, just stick to the T.S. Eliot. <laughs> It's odd that they didn't want you to change up Cat's musical genres. It seems so odd to me that they didn't want to add your own line. Hey, it was strange to me too. Um, the last quote I have from Alan uh, in Newsday is, the performers can't provide what isn't there, an overarching viewpoint that would make the pageant a microcosm of larger value conflicts. Trying hard to be likable, the show is the equivalent of those smile buttons people used to wear. Hmm. Hmm. Like too syrupy, I guess. All right, give us some of Frank Rich's uh, New York Times review. I only took this quote, and you can read the rest. When a show has more endings than it does numbers in its second act, that's a sure sign it lacks creative vitality and an engaging point of view. Yes. And these, as I've mentioned, the second act is the problem of this show. So that's Frank Rich. Do mm-hmm. you have more Frank Rich you'd like to share? Yes. Um, he says the show is sporadically amusing. <laughs> sk- sk- Raves schizoid in tone i think i just i would love to see sporadically amusing on a marquee (laughs) frank rich says in place of the well-drawn characters and clever numbers that might have lifted smile above its premises limitations there is a convoluted plot populated by stereotypes for reasons too boring to repeat a dramatic high point in act one is a dispute about the placement of a ramp while act two offers a marital brawl in which Mrs. Freelander suddenly confronts Big Bob with a feminist bill of demands. At that point, Smile inexplicably metamorphoses into a disillusioned Sondheim Prince musical about the collapse of the American dream, but without the theatrical, thematic, or musical substance to lend support or even credence to such dark ambitions. Uh, that's really bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, that's that's when Mar- Marvin Hamlish handed the newspaper to Howard Ashman and never spoke to him in, again. Indeed so, yes. Um, how about this one? This good-looking show has a lot to like. Sit back and enjoy the pageant. Women's wear daily. <laughs> I love it. They loved it. They loved it. It was for women. 
I love the reviews in Women's Wear Daily. Um, any you had other good reviews? That's I think that's all. The <laughs> that's It's actually kind of hard to find reviews for this show. It was, yeah. Um, yeah. The, the only other article I was able to find this is William B. Collins, the Philadelphia Inquirer. The title was "Fate of Smile Reinforces the Sad Plight of Musicals." Uh, just a couple quotes from him. He said, "The Broadway musical has been dying a slow death. I mean, how many times have we heard that?" Fifteen years ago, there were twenty new musicals to be seen. Last year, there were ten. For several years, the nominating committee for the Tony Awards has been hard-pressed to come up with even four respectable musicals in the same season. Rising production costs have been a major factor, but there's more to the problem than that. When people like Hal Prince and Charles Strauss lose their touch, the reason may lie in some sea change that has come over popular taste. Audiences are increasingly drawn to the easy, uncomplicated, and mindless pleasure of what has come to be known as the review. And this is the same time period as like Ain't Misbehavin' was a big hit and like these, the beginning of what would become what we would call a jukebox type of show. Quote, it may be that broad, the Broadway musical is not dead, but merely stalled between the sophisticates of the Sondheim school and the undoubted appeal of the old fashioned hack work represented by Jerry Herman and Lacage. In the middle are the reviews that entertain without really engaging the attention. Plainly, we need someone to reconcile the contradictions and revive a dying form. And that really does, I think, speak to what was happening in the 80s. It's these big, new-style rock-type musicals were coming out of London. and With roller skates. With ro roller skates and masks and wigs and cat fur. But America was not innovating anymore in, in theater. They were trying to either recreate what they'd been doing for 50, 60 years or they were coming up with stuff that just was plainly not working. So this brings us to what are the major reasons the show failed. So we've already talked about, uh, you know, the problem with the producers and the, I mean, the biggest plot points in the show are kitty porn, the ramp, and Robin's refusal to to reveal orphan points. So what, what else? Now, Hamlish and Ashman not getting along, I'm sure, contributed. And I... And also I did ask uh, Donna about that. And she mm -hmm. had said, I never saw them not, they never got into a fight in front of us. They never, they never felt like contentious. So I don't think the girls experienced that at all. Yeah. Um, but I do think that probably behind the scenes, it was probably pretty hard for these two wildly creative people to come together and try to create a musical that is not working. And then, you know, maybe they just both had a little too much writing on it. You know, it's like the desperate need to get it right. Um, and that that they didn't have the vote of confidence from the Schuberts that David Geffen pulled out. Like those things probably really propelled them maybe in a negative way in that people love what we're doing. Let's keep creating instead of like, it's not working, it's not working. Um, but there's there's just too many characters, not enough, not enough development. And I think that, you know, that ultimately the show doesn't exactly know what it is. And that is the problem for most musicals that fail, which is when you see a great musical, it knows what it is and it does it. You're like, oh, you know what you're doing. But this show did not necessarily know what it is. And it certainly didn't do that. thing. Yeah. yeah. In a good musical, you leave the theater knowing exactly what the authors were intending to say. And or at even least, if you don't like it, yes, you could still, or yeah. at least discussing it, you know, talking about what they might have said. But this is it's so confusing, and I think part of that is the sort of the romanticizing of the Disneyland concept. It's ironic that there's these two views of Disneyland: the magical, enchanted version and the cardboard version. And the cardboard version is is the reality. However, it's the fake version that gets romanticized 
And then this musical sort of becomes about that very thing. It misses the satirical element or any commentary on the phoniness of the pageantry itself. Instead, we keep coming back to Big Bob saying, this is the heart of America. This is the this is the point of life, you know? And it's like, really, is it, Bob? Because I'm... Do you think that it is uh, because they didn't want to dog the very medium that they were celebrating that, you know, to say pageants are dumb, this is unnecessary, when pageants were still kind of a big thing? I, I mean, it feels that way because the, yeah. the, the drama that they put into the show is more about the scandal of behind the scenes than it is about the fact that this whole thing is just a way for the producer to make money or you know, just like a, yeah. an ex exploitation of young female bodies. Um that isn't really commented upon. I mean, it, it isn't in listening to the score. Maybe if I read the, the dusty script you have in your hand. <laughs> so is there a way for the show to work today? Yes. Oh my God. So I'm going to tell the little mini quick story because it's boring. But about a decade ago, I was brought on to write a new book um, to juniorize Smile as a high school edition. Oh my gosh. And... A series of events happened with people at Sam French and it wound up falling apart. Mm -hmm. And um, after having this conversation today, I'm very engaged in wanting to try to make that happen again. Huh. And um, every, every, everybody steals every idea I've ever had. So um, <laughs> I'm not going to share uh, what I would do with it, but yeah. I do think it needs to be a one act musical, like a hundred minute straight through show that really focuses on these two girls and the big issue that we have in the show is that neither one of our two girls wins the pageant. And so I think I have come up with a way that uh, would be satisfying for the audience. And also, but will not be satisfying for us right now because you're not going to no. tell us. <laughs> well, because then like, you know, someone a little fancier than me, like calls Concord Theatricals tomorrow morning. And yeah, all of a sudden yeah. They have a deal of course, of course. So I have, I have some ideas and I do think it could really work, especially if the campsite is built up the great songs stay, the things that are clunkers go. And um, I've done all the work already. It's like done. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, like if you're looking at my little script, it all has all of my cuts. Oh, yes, it does. From, that I made uh, 10 years ago. But I think it could work. I have some questions. <laughs> I what? may or may not have an answer. Okay, how do you, how would you, <laughs> would you completely eliminate the Maria character as to not offend mm -hmm. the Latin community? I think that it has to be uh, done carefully. And I think that uh, the right people need to be consulted on that before there's a final version. Okay. But I do think that what they're saying about the pageant is that they are promoting this girl because she's Latina and they want to celebrate that she's unlike the rest of these girls. And um, I think that there's something about that that is actually kind of important to talk about. I think it just can't be done as a, she has to be making the choice to do it, to yeah, do it, correct. to be playing into exactly. it. And I, I I think it's a bad idea to ignore that it exists mm -hmm. because it's a real thing. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a real conversation I think people have now. So Yeah, but she the character must be in on the joke. On that they're doing it yes. on purpose. And I think that that's okay. Also, Smile has been done by, at hundreds of high schools. It's not like the show has not been touched. <sighs> okay, but like with the with the pornography element? Because that also can shift to so many things. It doesn't have to be completely like boobies out. Uh -huh. um, she can be in a towel and looking like a terrible with like a face mask on. Do you know what I mean? Sure. It, okay. It yes. just needs to ruin her. Mm -hmm. And yes, it is more scandalous if she's completely naked. But I don't think there's any world where that's appropriate anymore. 
each girl comes forward and they say, I'm smiling because this, I'm smiling because this, and it's a gorgeous glamour shot of them. Gorgeous glamour shot. Then we get to this girl with a towel on and a face mask and colors in her hair, looking a wreck. Mm-hmm. It's enough to still ruin the pageant. And maybe it's a series of photos. So we triple down on it. Do you okay. know what I mean? Sure. There's, there's ways to make it work. And I, and multiple high schools have done it many different ways. I've never actually seen the show at a high school, so I don't know what they have done to do that. I don't think that this show can work on Broadway. Okay. Gotcha. Um, Yeah. I would say, you know, not, and especially not with, like you were saying before that weird focus on the Reagan era value system of the eighties. I think that needs to be kind of re looked at, but how fun to see these girls in a send up of the eighties with the big hair and the neon clothes and the headbands. Sure. And singing about Terry Gar, period piece. Jenner. Period piece. It's fun. It's. I mean, that's. It would be weird to set Bye Bye Birdie in 2022. It doesn't make sense. Well, I have a question you know? for you. And I mean, as a person who works with young talent in the age of social media, what do you think the show says or can say about sort of curating one's image and the sort of that winning is everything mentality? Because I mean, you work with kids that are. You know, they have to be competitive if they're trying to get Broadway jobs. I mean, it's, you know? it's not the right. It's not that different than 16 girls auditioning to play Lydia and Beetlejuice. Like, what is the difference? Yeah. Like, they're all bringing themselves to it. So ideally, if that is a conversation maybe a director has, like, you all auditioned to play Doria. Like, what what is it about you that makes you stand out? What is it about you that makes you special? And these girls trying to fit in a box to be kim kardashian mm-hmm, or whatever mm-hmm. that that's the comment of today is yes. that it still comes down to who are the, you the person who is most in their own body the person who's most willing to share who they are inside the person who's um, not trying to take everyone down to bring themselves up generally tends to be the people who win in life and also can win in this pageant who you know get the part i agree with that and i i, I i've enjoyed seeing the show through your eyes through these brown eyes, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, before we wrap this up, by the way, this was just great. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, this was fun. And I, uh, why don't you, uh, what do you have to plug right now? Talk about uh, where can we find well, more info sure. about? Sure. Always follow us at Broadway Workshop to see if you're interested in classes and workshops mm-hmm. for young people. And we're going to be doing some things in January for 18 plus. Um, so check out VW Studio. That's going to be a new thing coming your way. And um, you can always touch down on the Little Me podcast at Little Me Podcast on Instagram and uh, follow Little Me. And uh, we we have a great time over at the Little Me podcast. I get to talk to so many fun people who are child stars or people that I'm just obsessed with that I want to hear what they were doing when they were kids. And uh, a lot of people listen and that makes me really happy. So check out little me podcast. Yeah. It's so, it's so great. I rec I highly recommend it. It's so nice to hear these big Broadway stars talk about the way that they started when they were kids and all the people they met. And it's just, it, it makes you, I don't know, it brings it all down to earth a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's a crazy thing to be a famous kid. I just sure. can't imagine. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I wanted that so desperately for myself. But, <laughs> um, so now I'll, I'll live through others. Um, of course, check out Better Nate Than Ever on Disney Plus in April, I mm-hmm. think. And uh, and follow me because I'm a narcissist at, at Mark Tuminelli um, because Everywhere. I love to, see those, <laughs> love to see those follows. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Marla will be back with us next time for another flop. Follow us on Instagram at Flop of the Heap or email us at show at flopoftheheappodcast.com to suggest our next flop. 
like, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you happen to be listening, and be sure to leave us a comment. The Flop of the Heat podcast is researched, recorded, edited, and produced by Marla Alpert and John Bowe. Learn more about how you can support our floptastic endeavors by joining us at patreon.com slash flop of the heap podcast. For as little as $5 a month, you too can be a flop of the heap podcast supporter. Until next time, bye. Maybe it's all fake. That's a chance I'll take. It's perfectly Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.